Okay, so we're here for our second podcast. This is the Living Well, Dying Well series. And I'm here with Claire, Dr. Claire Dixon. And we've got a guest with us today. We've got, well, Alan, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Al Stanley. I'm a licensed lay minister in the Church of England. I'm a retired dentist. And one of my claims to fame is I have taken perhaps well over a thousand funerals in my time taking funerals. So funerals have become a big part of my life and understanding them and how they work and what's most helpful to families. Big deal for me. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today, Alan. Um, I guess I just want to kick this off with a sort of quite broad question. So why, why do we have a funeral, do we think? Well, Claire, Angela, I think the first thing we've got to say is that the funeral is definitely for the reverent disposal of somebody's body. And that's a really important thing. We must always respect those that have died. But we are also very sociable creatures, aren't we? Most of us live in contact with at least one or two other people. And some of us live in contact with uh, tens or hundreds of other people. And so in a way, a funeral is a social event. Now, I don't sort of mean by a social event that you're getting together um, to sort of have a cheese and wine party or a garden party, but you're getting together so that you can be with other people who are feeling the same degree of loss as you are. Some people who are feeling that their lives are not now as rich or as full as they were before their loved one died. So we are supporting each other by getting together to reverently dispose of somebody's body. But more than that, of course, we want to say thank you for their life. We want to enable ourselves to remember that person's life, to recognise that it has now come to an end. And then in our own journey through life, to find some inspiration perhaps or some comfort so that we ourselves can move on to the next stage of our own lives as well. These are all really important things to share a common emotion, to help us to slowly move from being in somebody's company to not being in their company anymore. Great, Alan. Thank you. Now, the title you have for this podcast is We Need to Talk About the Funeral. Sounds, sounds very sort of provocative. Why do we need to talk about the funeral? Because, Angela, I think it's probably one of the things that we talk about least until it actually happens. And then we find ourselves floundering because we don't have the um, words to describe what we want to talk about. And I think it is up to the, the, somebody outside the immediate family to provoke that discussion. We need to talk about the funeral now because don't forget when somebody's bereaved, they are numbed. Their mind is not working in the same way as it was before. And the moment you're bereaved, you're hit with all sorts of decisions to be made, all sorts of paperwork to complete. Maybe there's a lot of legal stuff to do. And you're just not in the right place to think about the really important things when you've got to get the immediate things done. People cope with bereavement, of course, in very many different ways. And some people throw themselves into activity, just want to get the job done. And that can be a bit of a, an issue. We don't want to rush our talking about the funeral. And some people just can't think at all. And that can be a bit of a difficulty because we need to have some steer, some guidance from the bereaved about what sort of funeral would be appropriate for their loved ones. So we need to talk about the funeral and preferably long, long before it's going to happen. 
Yeah, indeed. And I think, um, like you touched on there, it, it helps your your loved ones at a really difficult time, isn't it? To uh, and takes away some of the the difficult decisions they've got to make if that's all planned out um, uh, already uh, and thought about and made known and communicated. Um, Okay, so I guess funerals are, are so individual, aren't they? But can you talk broadly of, you know, what, what's, what, what's made up in a funeral? How, how is it made up and what, what steps to go through when you're planning it? Sure, Claire. Yeah. So if we think of a funeral in, being in a, a way in three parts, one is looking backwards to what's been. One is living in the moment that is the saying goodbye. And then the next part is looking forward to what comes next. So mostly... The funeral is concerned with looking backwards at the life that's lived, been lived. What sort of funeral would you like to have? So if you're Lord Lascelles, you will have a massive funeral with a great procession through your local village. Uh, if you're not, what sort of funeral would you like? Would you like a, a short, respectful, quiet, dignified one? Or would you like to have one that really... Um, reflects a life that was full of people and livelihood and activity and vibrancy. In other words, would you like to have hundreds of people present at it? Would you like it to go on for a long time? Would you like it to reflect all of your interests? How many people would you like to make a contribution to it? Is it going to be a celebration of life? Or if life is coming to a tragic end, perhaps you've had a diagnosis and you've been given maybe a short period between the diagnosis and when the end will come, maybe the whole family and you would be so full of sadness and grief before you can come to a point of acceptance that a funeral will be a very sedate, sad, calm event. And to try and impose upon it something which is joyful would be completely wrong. So what sort of funeral, ideally, would you like to have? And that should in a lot of ways, reflect the life that you have lived. I think maybe above all, we should be striving for honesty in the funeral, not to make out that the deceased person was somebody they weren't. And of course, that touches on whether you have a, a religious funeral or a non-religious funeral and how you feel about the balance of those things. Um, yeah, it also touches on the, the way that the death arrived in your family, because sometimes death, as you two will know, can arrive as a friend in a family, that someone who's had a long and debilitating illness is now at peace, is a really peaceful funeral. We're happy in a sense, although sad at the same time. Or death can come as a bereavement. And I think, uh, you know, that bereaved comes from the word reaved, which means stolen or pulled away. So it's a, an aggressive thing is the word bereavement. Something's been ripped from us. But I think that's where I would say, what sort of funeral? Would you want to have just get a broad brush stroke out in your mind about that you mentioned honesty alan and that's important and it reminds me of a funeral i did where the son actually said how much he disliked his late mother but there was something in it that actually was it was full of integrity because he was honest and he said it in a way that wasn't angry but it was truthful and when there's truth it's kind of beautiful in a way isn't it I've certainly been present at funerals, taking funerals, where there's been a huge amount of healing for some hurt or rift that's happened previously in the family. 
and coming together through the funeral has, has healed that relationship. Mm-hmm. I think I ought to say as well that I've also been in circumstances where it's been the opposite, where the, the tensions of a death and the events surrounding it have just widened rifts within the family. And we just have to be sensitive in our own families that we need to be aware of where our emotions are coming from. I've never had any problem with people being respectful of the person that's died. That seems to be the uniting factor, even if families are having their own internal problems. Yeah. Okay. And um, just wonder if you could maybe touch a little bit on make, making the, the funeral a, a bespoke service. You know, what sort of examples of personal touches have, have you seen? And, you know, it doesn't have to follow a, a certain format. You know, what, what individual um, things can you bring to it? Yeah, thanks, Claire. If you're planning your funeral well ahead of time, you can think about poetry or prose and music that you want included in it so that it does genuinely reflect you. So uh, one man that I I was very close to, he was a great lover of musicals, um, musical theatre. So we had some musical theatre music played at his funeral. Would have been completely wrong for somebody else, but for him it made it very personal. Um, You would perhaps want to think ahead of time who you would like to speak at your funeral, because that makes it personal as well, without putting pressure on anybody that they must do it. If you've got someone who was willing to do it, then you can talk to them beforehand about what sort of things you would like said about you at your funeral. That makes it incredibly personal. You can look at different, uh, almost like ceremonial things that you can do for the funeral. So uh, when a coffin is brought into the place where the funeral is being held, traditional perhaps to have some flowers on the top of it it's very uh, usual practice to have a photograph of the person that's died somewhere near it but you can have personal things you could have uh, I'm from Yorkshire and so uh, I've had funerals many a time where the person's flat cap has been placed on top of the coffin as a memory of them and it speaks often more loudly than words can do you know Um, it's quite important maybe to involve different family members in the funeral. So to make it personal, different family members, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, relatives, somebody close to you, can place on the coffin something that symbolizes you to them. So I've had uh, grandchildren place um, maybe a teddy bear that granddad or grandma had given them on the coffin. They get it back at the end of the service, so it's not as if it's gone forever, but just as a symbol of what's important to them. I had remember one lady whose funeral we had in, in my church, and she said, I don't want anybody to say anything about me at the service. It's not about me. She wanted the focus of the service to be on the God who she'd known, loved, worshipped all through her life. She said, where you'd normally put tribute or a eulogy, I'd like you to have two or three extra hymns. And that made it really personal, because everybody knew this lady, and singing the hymns helped us to express our gratitude for her life. Uh, I remember we had a funeral for a, a farm worker and we actually, or a farm owner as well. We started off in the farmyard. We had some part of the service in the farmyard when the, the coffin was put onto a farm trailer and then drawn by a tractor to the place where everybody else had gathered. Uh, I remember fire officers, very often the fire brigade will turn out with a, a fire engine just to mark the arrival of the coffin at the place where the funeral is being held. But not all of us want the grand gesture. You know, maybe some people want just a small thing. 
if the person that's gone um, perhaps did some national service, the Royal British Legion will have to attend and just have their standard there to mark that time in somebody's life. Of course, if it's a younger person, again, you know, there's no reason we've had um, somebody's motorbike stood outside the place where the funeral was and at the right moment a friend started it up and we had a roar of the motorbike at the end of the service and that sort of marked the person going off you see somebody I remember who was very big in the, in the train spotting loved trains and at the end of their service we had a, an audio of a train leaving a station and just going off into the distance and those sort of things can make it um, very personal. Um, just to sort of round off this little uh, bit that I'm talking about at the moment, it's quite often done that family members would want to carry the coffin into the place where the funeral's happening. And I think that is an incredibly powerful thing. And I remember one family who carried the coffin a long way from the church where the service was, right down into the churchyard where the burial was happening. And I said, it's a long way. Are you sure you want to carry your mum all that way? And the, these grown-up boys said, yeah, that mum's carried us all our life. We're going to carry her now. So very ways it can be made very personal, I think, yeah. And it makes me think, sorry, Angela, it just makes me think about um, Prince Philip's funeral, actually, that I thought the most poignant moment was when his horse and carriage was, was stood there with his hat and, and riding gloves, and it just... Made it very uh, personal and individual, uh, and those little tokens can just remind everybody about that, the the person. I think Prince Philip's funeral will probably have a big effect on the way that we look at funerals in the future, in the same way that Princess Diana's funeral did uh, all those years ago. Uh, and maybe we would move towards a simpler funeral because with with simplicity can often come a greater depth of meaning than with um, a large event where you're trying to please a lot of people. Of course, I think everybody at Prince Philip's funeral was very touched by the Queen sitting alone with her grief. And it's so important in the, in the middle of everything on the funeral day, not to overlook people that are closest to the person that's gone and say, the funeral is an important part of that day, but not the only part of that day for them. So, yeah, I think we're going to look there a lot more at, at how funerals are after that one. Yeah. You've Thank talked you quite that. a bit about the content of, of funerals and how people might think about that. And I guess people who are listening to this will need to go away and do quite a lot of thinking. It's not the sort of thing you can just write down in you know, 10 minutes. But, but I wondered as well, can you think of what you would define as a good funeral, if it's possible to have one? Have you got some in, in mind? Yeah, I can certainly <laughs> think of some that have been good, Angela. And often it's by contrast with those that have been bad that we see what is good, isn't it? And um, this probably would be a slightly strange concept for me to start off by saying, but when you're looking to plan a funeral, for yourself or for someone that's your loved one, it's really important that you feel you have the confidence and trust in the person that you've invited to take the service for you. And um, sometimes you may feel that you're pushed into a decision by a funeral director or by a church processes or whatever system you happen to be in. 
but I certainly have had occasions where I've been rung up very late in the day where a family's met somebody who has been, and it were, as it were, allocated to take their funeral and decided that really this person is not on the same wavelength as they are and they're not comfortable that they're going to get exactly what they want. So I, I would say, first of all, I would always encourage a family or bereaved people to take control of planning the funeral right down to the person who is going to take it for you because it's such an important moment, such an important event that you've just got to feel warm towards the person that's sort of the front, voicing a lot of your feelings and thoughts at the same time. So that's the first thing to think about, who's going to do it. Then you'd want to know where is it going to happen? Are we going to be in our a local church or religious centre? Or are we going to be at our local crematorium? The difficult decisions to be made because churches aren't available to all for funerals, as long as the service is conducted within sort of certain Church of England limits. There's no bar on that. And I think the churches would always want to give a very warm welcome to people to have a funeral in a church. I know that not long ago, the church's wedding project discovered that a lot of young couples feel uncomfortable coming into churches for weddings because they feel hypocritical that they didn't go to the church for worship. So they feel awkward coming into it for a wedding. I would hope that we could say that nobody should feel awkward coming into a church for a funeral because they have not been there Sunday by Sunday up to then. We, should welcome, we do welcome everybody. So the venue is really important. And then let's think about what music you want, what uh, readings, if any, you want. These will make it a good funeral. Try and let your wishes be known beforehand. And sometimes we get a sense that the funeral just sort of has a momentum of its own and lifts and flows. What makes that? There was some very interesting research done by a team from whole university quite a number of years ago on exactly that question what makes a good funeral and the researchers talked to bereaved people and you cannot define it and bottle it and put it down on the page it's all about the feel and tone and if you can if the family can set the feel and the tone through the person the funeral minister they will feel it's been a good funeral is it to be formal or relaxed these are tricky questions but they're what make it good. And then once the person taking the funeral has enabled everybody to feel relaxed and comfortable, it then allows those making a contribution to make it unselfconsciously, not worried if they're going to break down in tears and have to have a few moments to gather themselves before they can carry on. It doesn't matter if the tone is right. So it's not an easy one to answer, Angela, what makes a good funeral. But it's, it's like love. You know it when you encounter it, I suppose. But, but defining it is harder. Yeah. Okay. OK, so I guess um, for somebody listening to the, us talking about this now, what, what practical sort of top tips can you give somebody, um, you know, for, for planning their funeral um, yeah. and I guess communicating that to other people? That's a really good question, Claire. And it's the one that I, I hope that will be the essence of, what people take away from this podcast is what to do now. And I think the answer is get a big piece of paper and start jotting stuff down on it, not writing it out in any sort of formal sense, but just in a random way, start putting down what intuitively you feel you would like for your funeral. 
And if, I'll say some more in a moment about that, but if you can also encourage somebody else in your family to do that, that would be good. So, you know, before somebody's approaching the end of their life, if you can say, look, I've done this, have you done it? It's really helpful. Or if you can approach, if you're quite mature in years and maybe you're thinking my life got more behind it than it's got in front of it, then initiate this conversation with another family member and say, I just want to tell you what I want before it happens. So these are the things that I would definitely encourage people to jot down. And the first one is to decide if you can where you would like your funeral held. I mean, usually it's a, a church, another religious building, a crematorium or a cemetery or a cemetery chapel. Those are the obvious ones, but there's no reason why it can't be anywhere. Um, how would you like your body disposed of? Remember we said reverent disposal of a body is, is a key factor of a funeral. Do you want to be buried? If so, where? Locally or in a green burial site somewhere? Do you want to be cremated? If you want to be cremated, where would you like your ashes to be? I can't tell you the number of families I've spoken to who said, well, I think she wanted to be cremated, but I'm not sure because her dad was buried. And, and it's, you know, it's a really hard call to make an emotional time if the person who's died hasn't made that wish clear. Um, so if you're having a service at the crematorium, what do you want to happen afterwards? Would you really like people to get together and, and have a, a time to remember individually your life? Uh, remember one family and the person had expressly forbidden there to be awake. And I can't tell you how painful that was for all those who had traveled a long way to be with them. So they did not have a wake, but coincidentally, they all met up at the local pub where they happened to have laid on some sandwiches. So it was a sort of bit of a fudge. But um, so what, what do you want to happen? If you're having your funeral in your local church, do you want to have a private cremation later and let everybody go to the wake straight afterwards, which is the much the preferable thing to do in, in my view, but it's a really difficult call for people to make. Uh, if you express your wishes about all these things, it takes away any guilt that your next of kin may feel of not getting it quite right. Do you want to have any hymns? What are they? Do you want to have some music? What is it? Um, just jot it all down. Then I think it's quite helpful if you can write a, not your life story out, but the headlines of your life out. These are the things which were important to me in my life because those things that were important to you may not be the same things that are important to somebody looking at your life from the outside. So somebody may look at my life and say, oh yes, Alan's a retired dentist. Well, I didn't describe myself like that when you invited me to introduce myself, because if you wanted me to describe myself, the most important bit of my life at the moment is being a grandfather. That's what I'd like to be known as. And I would hate it for someone to say, Alan spent 30 years being a dentist and only give one line to being a granddad so you know get those things down I think it's really helpful to put the emphasis on where you want it to be um, do you want your family and friends to feel oh I don't know um, that they can dress as they like for the funeral or if you're a big football fan you know are you going to be dressed in your coffin in your team's gear strip do you want people to come dressed in that way as well there's lots of things that i think would just take the pressure off those that are left who are really 
want to get it right for you, but may not know all of these, you know, the particular things that you want. Um, inadvertent pitfalls in a funeral. So you know, there can be things that you would want to avoid. Um, some songs may be really appropriate for you. So heavy metal music for some people would be absolutely great. He ain't heavy. He's my brother is one that, you know, I don't know if that heavy metal or not. I'm not into that, but you know, those are sort of good ones, aren't they? They reflect what you want. But if you have that blasting out when there's just six people there and they're all over 70, is it exactly what would be right? So just, you know, have a think what would be right for you. There've been some wonderful pieces of music that families have, the bereaved the person that's died I should say has chosen for a time of reflection during the service it absolutely reflected their life so just put that down as well and I think the final thing I would just say Claire in response to that really good question was try not to put pressure on people to do things so don't say I would like Fred to speak at my funeral because Fred may exactly not want to do that. He may feel he's not him, he can't do it. The pressure would be huge on Fred. Just say, if he feels comfortable, I'd like Fred to talk about me in these terms. If he doesn't, that's fine. So be a bit more relaxed about it. Does that sort of go some way to answering that question a bit? Write it down, share it with people, put it with, um, yeah, put it where people will find it. Okay. You've, you've shared so much. That's brilliant. Um, there's so much content in what you've said. And I just wondered, is, is there anything we've missed out? Or Claire, is there anything we've, we've forgotten to ask you? I think um, just following on from what we were saying in the first podcast is it's a lot easier maybe to have these conversations when you are well and 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 not got difficult treatment diagnoses hanging over you and, and and to give it some thought now so yes it's very important for people who maybe have been given a terminal diagnosis or who know that, that they are well uh, unwell sorry um, but also it should be people who 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 are well but perhaps you know as COVID has shown us I think it's the first time we mentioned COVID in this podcast so far but as COVID has shown us it's it can happen um, at any time any, to any person. So it, this is for everybody, not just people nearing the end of their life or who we think are nearing their end of their life. And having that conversation is much easier without all the emotions of, of everything else going on as, as uh, at the end of your life. I think actually one, one person that we haven't mentioned that I probably should have mentioned is the funeral director and the importance of before you get to that point, uh, trying to decide which funeral director you would like to look after you and your loved ones when that moment of your death arrives. And um, yeah, yes, just find somebody that you feel comfortable with that you can talk to as well. Um, I, I mean, I think I have a huge respect for funeral directors. The professionalism of all of them is uh, massive. But just decide who you want and maybe pop into their office or I'll pop into the office of one or two or three of them and have a chat and say, I'm just, you know, wanted to get my affairs in order. What sort of service do you offer? Can I meet the funeral director and just get the sense of the person you'd like to look after your loved ones on what is probably going to be one of the hardest days of their lives. Yeah. And I guess that's, yeah, that's something that when perhaps people are listening to this podcast, they might feel 
a bit of anxiety. How could I, how could I do that? But I guess as we've tried to, to say in this podcast and in our other one, and we'll say all through the series, the more we can do now, the easier things will be as, as time goes on. So it's, it's about preparing. Um, thank you, Alan, for sharing with us all of your knowledge and experience. I know that you've led so many funerals and it's been really helpful. So thank you. Thank you for being with us today. It's been a joy to be with you both. Thank you. Thank you.